Okay, good afternoon. This is Richard Shu, host of Shoe Untied. Today, I'm very pleased and honored to have with me as my guest, Jerry Kaplan, who's an entrepreneur, a professor at Stanford, is involved in AI. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. Pleasure to be here. So, Jerry, I want to start off by asking about your legendary and iconic book, Startup, which you wrote when you founded Go. And I know you've talked about it a lot, but when you as you sit here today in 2017, kind of look back at the role that, that that had in your life and in Silicon Valley, how does it kind of stand out or what, what are sort of the, the things that sort of still are relevant about that book and your experience at Go? Well, there's the company it was about and then there's the book and these are somewhat separable things. Um, the book, I think, was one of the first or very early story of an entrepreneur and his experiences with venture capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... Uh, you can have your own opinion. I think it's, uh, I try to tell it as a compelling narrative, not as a how-to, and talk about the personalities and the people that I encountered. And what was a remarkable experience for me during that particular part of my life. Which do you remember more? The, the Go is the book? The, the, the experience of you at Go or the, or the book, would you say? Well, I, I think both are, are uh, important. Uh, it, it, the, first of all, these are, to me, they're lost in antiquity. You're talking about something that was 25 years ago <laughs> or more, uh, so about half my life ago. Uh, but it was certainly an interesting experience, and I think it was for many people, it was their introduction to what is Silicon Valley entrepreneurship all about. Mm-hmm. And I'm, many people come up to me and they say, you know, I read your book and that's why I became fill in the blank or that's mm-hmm. why I started XYZ Company. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like apologizing, saying I'm so sorry <laughs> that I got you started down that path by writing uh, hopefully an, an inspiring book of this nature. Well, let me ask you, what, what inspired you to write that book? I mean, most entrepreneurs don't write about their experience. What, what, ins- what, what inspired you to write that book? Well, they, they used to say about people who climb mountains, why do you do it? Because it's there. Mm-hmm. And I want to, th- the, the honest truth was, I always thought uh, maybe I could write a book. <laughs> and so during that entire period of time, which was many years, I was probably five or six years or something like that, I actually took notes on just events and little details that I thought might be useful mm-hmm. in scenes that I thought would be really interesting or funny ways to write about them. And um, when I uh, wound up uh, leaving the company, the company was sold to AT&T, and I was basically out of a job. I thought, what the hell? Mm. I'll give it a try. So mm. I wrote the book, and um, I think it's been very influential mm. in creating a certain r- mythology about what goes on here in the Silicon Valley, mm. some of which is true and some of which is less <laughs> true today than it was then. Mm. Um, but I wanted to capture certainly the enthusiasm and the spirit and particularly the characters. Mm. This place is just full of characters mm. that are screaming out for, for treatment. And fortunately, TV shows like Silicon Valley have recognized that and done an excellent job of parodying the crazy <laughs> MFs that uh, we have here in the, uh, in the Silicon Valley. Was it hard writing the book? No, I loved it. Oh, I, I've written uh, several books since then. Okay. And uh, you might not know them because they're one of them. 
basically a policy book about artificial intelligence. My most recent book is Artificial Intelligence, What Everyone Needs to Know hmm. from uh, Oxford Press. Hmm. And um, no, I, lo- I love writing. I think writing is, is fun and interesting. It's work. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably fairly slow at it. But it's it's a form of it's an art form mm-hmm. and trying to communicate clearly and succinctly and keeping people engaged and interested to me that's it's storytelling mm-hmm. it's storytelling narrative. Now when you um, when you when you look at that book now do, do you feel like it holds up pretty well is the experience that you had is that still relevant to entrepreneurs now today do you think I mean obviously I know the technology is different yeah. but do you think it holds up pretty well? Uh, well, first of all, let me say, I have not read that book in 20 years. <laughs> and My next question was, have you read the book recently? No, 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 no. I, I, you know, you finish it, you know, you put the last dot at the end of the last sentence, here it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I'm, I'm just reflecting as, as immodestly and accurately as I can. People tell me, uh, they, obviously people have read it recently, mm-hmm. it's still selling. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, it, well, I, I I don't think it's the Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still get people who say I was really inspired by what you had to say, <laughs> and then they ask me detailed questions about why did you choose to do turn left <laughs> instead of turn right? Or I'm like, did I say that in that book? Did that happened, you know. I mean, you know, bear in mind, I was a much I was a younger man. Now I now I'm an old fart. Luckily, people can't see me. You know, I look like some. Uh, uh, crazy duffer at a uh, at a uh, uh, golf course but um you know yeah people seem to really continue still, to enjoy the book and it still sells new copies even now yeah well it might be the old copies being resold i can't right, tell you that right, sure. right 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 but yes uh, people are people are still reading it because it's uh, one of the first real in-depth stories about how did we raise capital? What were the considerations? How did it work? How do we hire people? How do we fire people? What kinds of problem management problems came up? What was it like to go up against a, a, a very aggressive monopolist at that time? And all of that, I think, is still very relevant today. Now, when the book came out, were you surprised at its popularity? I mean, or, or what was your, or your publisher? Was the publisher surprised at its popularity? No, that, well, the publisher was pretty optimistic about it. It was published by Houghton Mifflin. Mm-hmm. And I think they were very happy uh, that it was, uh, you know, a bestseller in its day. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I can't complain. I, I, you know, I made my point. I, mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, I could write a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think about that book that makes it, you know, so unusual? I mean, it, on one hand, it's yeah. just a story. But, but is there something specific about it, you think, that, that made it so iconic and, yeah. and legendary? Well, there are really two different aspects to it. There's the, the nuts and bolts of how do you do this? Right. What is the process? What does it mean to get a pitch meeting with a VC? Now, today, of course, you take courses in this, you read how-to mm-hmm. books, and all, but there was nothing back then. Mm-hmm. You know, how did you get there? What was it like? How did the process go? Uh, how did different rounds of funding work? You know, just the mechanics of all of that. And I think uh, for a lot of people then, and even today, a lot of that is still relevant, mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's an, oh, I didn't know I needed to do that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the real reason for the book's popularity, in my opinion, is not that it's a backdoor how-to. It's really about, it's a story, it's a narrative. It has a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. And that was my intent. In fact, I sold the movie rights to Sony Pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, Never made a movie, but I did sell the rights. And, you know, it's a story uh, that I, I, I think is, is very captivating 
and interesting to people. And the other thing that surprised people back then and today is it was writing about a company that wasn't a big financial success. Mm. And that was also, the venture business buries its dead very deeply in the ground. <laughs> Every venture capitalist, here's some advice for people. When they sit down, they, it won't be three minutes before they're going to come out with, I invested in this and this and this, and there'll be three companies that were successful. Now, whether they were the last guy in hanging on by their fingernails, <laughs> or whether they were the one who took the original pitch from a couple of kids out of Stanford, they don't make that that mm -hmm. clear. Mm -hmm. But they they celebrate their three successes, and it's usually three to five, depending on how old they are. And they don't tell you about the 30 to 50 or the 300 to 500 mm -hmm. that they sunk a whole pile of their investors' money in and it, it did nothing but dig a very deep hole in the mm -hmm. ground. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, peop in fact, when I went to write it, I said, I'm going to write a book about this. And I mean, you can't do that. You know, it wasn't you, a secret. You can't do that. Well, I could write a book about that company. It's you know, funny. we had to send it sideways and sell it to AT&T in 93. Nobody's going to be interested. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear about that. They want to hear about, you know, how you built McDonald's, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Well, I also wrote the book too early because my next business was a much more interesting story and uh, very uh, successful in its day. And it was uh, would have made a much more interesting book, but uh, I didn't wind up really writing about it I for see. a variety of reasons. Interesting. Well, when you look back on Go, mm -hmm. what is, are there like, are there any one or two memories that kind of leap out that are still very fresh in your mind or as now as time passes, it all pretty much just kind of a big blur? Or is there a couple things out of that that really still are very fresh and clear to you? Well, there are certainly some that are fresh and clear to me, but it was a long time ago. And like when I talked to my mother, who is still around, she's uh, not. 92 or 93, you know, I noticed that as she remembers things from, oh, when you were a boy, you were such a good boy. She hated me, but, you know, you're such a good boy. Uh, so these things do get kind of seen with, uh, with rosy glasses. Mm -hmm. But uh, the main thing that stands out from, for me in that experience are really the, uh, the passion and commitment of the characters mm -hmm. that I interacted with. Mm -hmm. uh, one, um, one of whom, for example, is Bill Campbell. Now, people listening to the podcast may or may not know who Bill Campbell is, but he was a very influential character in Silicon Valley. Amazing human being. Unfortunately, he's dead. Mm -hmm. um, and people, when they're listening to this, maybe say, oh, yeah, I'm listening to this guy. He's dead, too. <laughs> uh, but the characters were really uh, what it was about. And mm -hmm. the, the passion for the beauty, the compelling... Uh, the ability for a concept of an exciting product to be so compelling that people set aside what might otherwise be their life path and their goals and divert them in order to making that a success. It's mm -hmm. sort of like bridge over river Kwai, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, it's, you, you become obsessed with making a certain vision happen. Mm -hmm. Now, the funny thing about Go is that that vision did happen. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't go in the end that benefited from it necessarily. Right. And why that happened and how it happened is very interesting. But a surprising number of the features and capabilities that people find so compelling in the tablets and phones that they have today were actually uh, originated in the mm -hmm. Go tablet, mm -hmm. which uh, we had developed back there. It was the first tablet computer. 
So when you look back on that now, I mean, do you think that you could have done something different to make that company successful or really it was just too early and the technology wasn't there? It wouldn't matter what you had done. Hmm. What, what would you say about that? Well, I, I actually, I have a point of view of, about this that's not, in retrospect, doesn't sound very, very charitable, but that was a good product hmm. and it worked much better than people give it credit for today. And they think it didn't because it was not commercially successful. Mm -hmm. The primary reason, in my view, in retrospect, and having really understood better, is that we were entering a market that was increasingly dominated by a large company which wanted to maintain a monopoly over its operating systems and had surprisingly effective ways of excluding small competitors from that market. Mm -hmm. Had that not been the case, it is my current view that the company might very well have been highly successful. Hmm. And it was only really later when a company, uh, not like Apple, actually Apple, uh, that had the uh, sufficient market clout to be able to take these same concepts and reintroduce them in a form that uh, people responded to in, in a very successful way. Hmm. Now, I'm not bitter about that. That's the law of the jungle. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think it was necessarily good or right. Uh, it certainly didn't benefit society. Uh, but that's the way these things work. And uh, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, in that book, there's a there's a funny story. I was just I want to know if that's true. Is where I think there was a, a scene where you said that you, when you were trying to pitch the idea, you were putting in the business plan, you threw down the old day runner or something on the table and said, you know, this is what I want to make electronic or something like that. Is that's that right. is that a true story? Is that absolutely exactly, is that true story? Happen? Yeah. Everything in the book is a true story. There were some stories I couldn't put in the book, not because they weren't true, but because they weren't believable. <laughs> you know, the stuff that goes on is just completely, sometimes, you say, nobody would believe this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the book was, uh, I believe, completely, as best I could, it was absolutely accurate. Mm -hmm. Of course, I, I picked certain elements in order to have a, a proper narrative. But yeah, I went in with a tablet of paper and a leather-bound case, and I threw it on the table. I said, that's the next generation of computer. And it was a scene I was reminiscent, as I recall. I might have written it this way. I haven't read the book. I was at 20 years. <laughs> it is this one scene in 2001 where there's this obelisk, yeah, yeah. you know, and the, and, the, and the monkeys are like, ooh, you know, and going up. and like That was what the scene was like. There were people <laughs> all around this round table that would reach out and like, just kind of want to touch it, you know, and, and they had a huge argument over whether it could be done and what it meant and what it was like, and that wasn't really a computer and all this stuff. And I basically was just sitting there, you know, as the, I was the youngest guy in the room by far, I'm sure. Mm. But we were dealing with a, a classic venture firm, Kleiner Perkins Caulfield Buyers, and all the partners there, everybody you ever heard of yeah, yeah. affiliated with that firm was in that room. And uh, it was a very funny scene, you know. I didn't have to say anything. They were they were going to decide whether this was possible and and whether whether it could be done. Mm -hmm. So when you look back now, how do you compare your experience with Go with all the other stuff that you've done since, and including the the work you're doing now, obviously in artificial intelligence? Yeah. Uh, you know, is it still you know? Well, tell me a little about the evolution of maybe how your career has evolved now till today, and how did you get involved in artificial intelligence? Well, I'm kind of a technological ne'er do well. I just have moved from one project to another over time. And that's because I get very excited about unique opportunities that I think are going to be real. I'm usually right about that, but it's a very long way from being right about what the trends are and what's going to happen next 
to being able to be the one whose name is associated with it as a big success and that is involved in a successful company. Because the truth is that uh, entrepreneurship in the startup world here in Silicon Valley is not quite what people think it is. It's not if you work hard and you're smart, you're successful. The truth is it's like a giant game of bumper cars. Hmm. And there are a lot of people who are very good and very smart, and a lot of people usually have the same class of idea and slight variance on that idea at the same time, and uh, they're all banging into each other. And whether or not which ones are going to emerge, you know, depends on uh, factors that are largely a matter of chance. Mm. So for every successful entrepreneur, you can be guaranteed there are nine other people who are just as talented, just as committed, and in some sense could not have done anything differently other than to have known in advance about that it was going to rain that day mm-hmm. uh, that would um, uh, have, have made that that kind of kind of a difference. So, I mean, the next thing I got involved in is almost immediately after that event, um, a friend of mine sat down and he came up with the idea for the online auction. Mm-hmm. You may or may not be aware okay. of this. I started the first online auction house. And I think that qualifies as a big success. It was what today we would call a unicorn. Mm-hmm. It went public in 97, onsale.com, mm-hmm. and ultimately was sold to egghead.com. Um, but there were other companies that copied or followed, including Yahoo, obviously eBay, um, Amazon, and you know, with varying degrees, uh, were successful or less successful in that uh, particular market. So that was my next venture. Mm. I actually had a venture before Go. I'll skip that. And um, then I, I got the idea around 2004 of the idea of a social game, what is now called social games, and particularly a cooperative social game, which is still a very interesting idea. Mm. And I worked uh, on, started a company, and it was, uh, I mean, moderately successful. We were in business for eight or nine years, and it's still around. Mm. I was sold to another company. Actually, I haven't checked it recently, mm. but since everybody's probably sitting at their computer, they can go type it in, see if it's still there. Winster.com, W-I-N-S-T-E-R. Mm. And it's a really fascinating uh, way of encouraging social interaction among uh, people are typically isolated or uh, physically unable to engage in, to get around other people, to encourage them to be able to interact with each other in a constructive and positive way. Hmm. So cooperative social games was the next thing that I did. And then I had a bunch of kids. I retired, and well, I had kids earlier, but anybody who's got kids would certainly understand that you can't really do this kind of thing when you got four little girls. <laughs> you know, it's really tough. Uh, luckily, they're all off. the last one went to college this year, and I'm back. So, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, said, I'll be back. Here I am. I'm back. So, I'm on to a whole other bunch of set of issues relating to technology and democracy and uh, labor markets and all of that. So, interesting. Yeah. Is there a theme to all the stuff that you've done? Do you think, or I mean, you know, mm-hmm. is there is there some overarching theme of all the various different companies you've been involved in, or you think it's just whatever interests you next, or what would you say about that? Boy, that's a great question, and I wish I had a really good answer to that uh, that would be coherent. I, I think in every case, probably what was more in my mind than you might expect was this is a way to improve the world. Now, I'm not holding myself out to be a, a Peace Corps cadet, mm-hmm. um, but that was the key element, I think, that made made me interested and gave me the the emotional energy to to do all the hard work and to get up and spend those 
you know, 16-hour days uh, and work weekends and all that, because I thought this is going to make the world a better place. Mm. The rest of it, which is what most people focus on, for me was really more of a side effect than you might mm-hmm. think. You know, it's like the money comes if you work hard on, on these things. And even if it doesn't come, you did something that was worthwhile with your life. Mm-hmm. And I encourage uh, people who are getting into this game, because entrepreneurship is a young man's game, in my opinion, <laughs> you know, to really take that view. Don't be afraid to, you don't have to go for the big bucks. You don't have to become a McKinsey consultant. You can uh, figure out a better way for people to, uh, you know, share information about their crops in Africa. And even if you don't make a lot of money at it, as long as it's creating economic value and improving people's lives, I think at the end of the day, you're going to be happier with yourself and feel like you didn't waste your life. Mm. Now, you're obviously still a young man. Um, I know you've got, it sounds like you've got a lot of things going on. Do you have like a long list of things you still want to do or? Yes. Okay. I do. I do. In fact, one of the scariest things that happens to a guy when his uh, thing comes in the mail and says, by the way, you're eligible for Medicare. (laughs) What? Are you kidding me? God damn it. Uh, Is when you realize I actually do have a list and of stuff and i know i'm not going to read it off to you uh and it's not like play golf at pebble beach no, it's, I get you know, it. really interesting stuff that i think can be done and um i'm worried that i do not have enough time yeah. to make it through that list so i have a, a renewed sense of urgency about some of these things and picking a few of them off you know i think we can fix the democracy in the united states mm. these are things they're all solvable problems this is the optimism of silicon valley i'm probably an icon of that even though in many ways i'm not a, a big booster for silicon valley i'm uh certainly a, an optimistic view about about these kinds of things we can make the world a better place in a lot of ways we just have to be sensible about it and a lot of the resources that are available in a place like the silicon valley are the things that you need in order to make those those kinds of things happen. Well, Jerry, it's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate your taking the time. I'd love to check back with you in a few years and see if what's still left on your list at that point. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure. This is Richard Chu and Jerry Kaplan. Thanks. Thanks.